Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that fondly harkens back to the days of old when even Mr. Potato Head was allowed to smoke a pipe without getting mashed. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly broadcast dedicated to all of us pipe smokers around the world, no matter what kind of pipe or price we smoke. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is Thursday night. It's 5 p.m. Pacific time. And this show is 100% pre-recorded because I just landed in Vegas a couple of hours ago out here for the week of the IPCPR. Which brings me to tonight's show. The IPCPR will be uh, pipe parts. I'll explain a little bit of the insides and outsides of the industry. My guest, I'm really excited, Steve Liskey. Great young pipe maker. Wonderful guy. We'll talk to him. Uh, music, we're going off and uh, deviating again. I got some uh, got some fun stuff for you. Original poetry coming up. And a rant, mailbag, all that good stuff, all coming up in tonight's 100% pre-recorded Pipes Magazine radio show. Do make sure and check out the uh, page on PipesMagazine.com for this episode, and you will actually see a picture of... Mr. Potato Head, back in the days when he included a pipe as part of uh, one of his uh, accessories that you could get with every Mr. Potato Head. It's a little black pot-shaped pipe. Looks like a uh, corn cob that has been smoked longly and lovingly. Uh, I'm a little excited to get out to Vegas, although the weather out there is going to be hot and, uh, and a little rainy, but it has been raining constantly back home rain every day and not just the standard pop-up thunderstorms i mean this is let's put it this way i wouldn't be surprised if i went to the lumber yard and saw a guy named noah buying yards and yards of lumber getting ready to build an ark it's been raining every day here for about three weeks now a couple days ago got outside got some sunshine for about 20 minutes it was a beautiful evening and uh enjoyed that but it's just been raining a lot here and that's just not normal. Anyway, let's cut down on my front porch time a little bit because the bugs are extra bitey. All right, let's get the show going. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Here we go. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. There's nothing quite like a good book. 
or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back. All right, the IPCPR, the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association, started out as the RTDA, the Retail Tobacco Dealers of America. I believe it's 82 years old now. Uh, going back to the old days, it was more of a hotel ballroom or hotel room-to-room kind of an event where twice a year manufacturers and suppliers would get together to show off their wares to retailers. In uh, the 1990s, it exploded with the cigar boom and shifted to become very much cigar-centric, as did many of our favorite brick-and-mortar stores. About uh, six years ago, changed its name from the Retail Tobacco Dealers uh, of America to the IPCPR to what we have now. What goes on at the IPCPR is... It's a 350,000 square foot exhibit hall that is about 90% of cigars and cigar related accessories. The cigar brands, for those of you not in the United States, are all, it's all non-Cuban cigar product. So it has become the premier place for the international community to come and see all the boutique cigar brands or the non-Cuban cigar brands that are available in the U.S., and to bring them back to their country, as well as, of course, the premier cigar buying event for all the tobacconists across the United States. The cigar companies that you'll see there include the include the big ones, like uh, General Cigar, Altadas, uh, Davidoff, the smaller, more boutique guys like Padron, Fuente, Perdomo, La Flor Dominicana, if I left out your favorite, I'm sorry, I'm not, you know, not listing them all. But all these companies will set up massive booths. An Altadas booth might be a 60 by 80 foot square that they have different areas of their booth to feature different cigars. And this is where a lot of them will try to launch the new cigars, launch new accessories. You'll see all kinds of cigar-related accessories out there, all kinds of stuff that I didn't even know you needed or existed. It is changing a little bit, however, that because of the indoor smoking community uh, or the indoor smoking ban you're starting to see where cigar companies are coming out with their cigars or their new launches in April and May as golf season warms up. So by the time the RTDA or the IPCPR comes around, it's usually in July or August, it's a chance for those companies now to give a promotion or build the brand exposure and get more out there. Anyway, it's a big selling event for the cigar companies. On the pipe side, it used to be a much bigger event. used to be that the first day of the trade show, it's a four-day event, used to be the first day of the trade show is considered pipe day because all the retailers that bought pipes would run in and the manufacturers or the pipe, the, the pipe importers would have actual pipes that, there that you could pick right off of the racks. I remember in my days going through and picking out Dunhill's Costello's. You'd run to the Savinelli booth to pick out the autographs that they had. 
Lots of companies are still doing that, but it's become less and less because the amount of brands that are available are being condensed down into fewer and fewer retailers or fewer and fewer importers. So the running to get the pipes the first thing on the first day, and there's fewer retailers that are actually involved in the picking pipes, is no longer what it used to be. Uh, the other thing that's changed, and I'm not going to make a comment whether it's good or bad, it's just changed, is that a lot of companies are using their own distribution channel going directly to the retail from their country. Uh, one of the a perfect example of that is Ashton Pipes. Bill Taylor used to sell through R.D. Field, and R.D. Field would have a booth at the trade show. Well, in order to keep the pricing level throughout the globe, now Ashton Pipes are sold directly to a select few retailers. Same thing has happened with several different brands, so those those booths have kind of pulled back and they're they're no longer as big as they used to be. But on the tobacco side, it's a great place for a tobacco company to launch a brand new tobacco, to roll out a new item. McClellan will always show their new Christmas cheer for this year. They'll always show it at the trade show and place orders, and then it'll trickle in. Uh, several companies will introduce whatever new tobacco flavors or new tobacco ex line extensions. Those will all be introduced at the IPCPR. Now, again, it is a trade only. It's not open to the public. It is manufacturers and suppliers dealing with membership retailers. And in order to be a member retailer, you have to have a brick-and-mortar location. You have to have posted hours, and you have to have a certain amount of product mixture. I forget what the exact details of it are. But it's something that's not open to the public. It is a wholesale trade show only. For me, it's a great chance to catch up with a lot of my favorite retailers that I don't get a chance to see or talk to during the year. It's also a great chance for myself to go see what else is going on out in the marketplace because every manufacturer and every supplier is right there. And I'll get a chance to smoke a few cigars. So I'll, uh, if you want, I'll talk about the cigars after I get back from the trip and I've had a chance to smoke them. Anyway, it's four days of trade show in Las Vegas. For me, it's two days of booth setup, four days of running the, of working the show, an evening of teardown, and then a night of collapsing, and then back home I go. So that's why I really could not set aside the time needed to do a show in Las Vegas. It's just it's a seven day sprint from uh, from the from the start. So, all right, that is the IPCPR. In just a minute, pipe maker Steve Liskey. Have you ever found one of those magic pipes where anything you smoke in it tastes great? Do you know what makes a pipe magic? It's the wood. All Amadeus pipes are made from Grecian briar and come direct from the four generations family-owned briar mill. We supply wood to many of the top brand name factories and even to world-renowned pipe artisans. Now you can experience our ultra-high-grade briar at factory direct prices. We're the briar mill and we're the pipe makers. We've got every size, shape, and finish you can imagine at the best prices possible. From 50 to 150 and they're worth twice that. Get an Amadeus pipe now. They're magic and affordable. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. 
When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented perfect match system. Try it at SutliftTobacco.com. Go to SutliftTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. This is Internet Radio. Joining us from the deserts of California, uh, not as young as I thought he was, but still young, upcoming pipe maker, Steve Liskey. Steve, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hey, how you doing? Steve, tell everybody, where did you grow up? Where'd you come from? All that stuff. Uh, well, I was born in Southern California in Pomona, and uh, just right outside of L.A., and uh, I moved to San Bernardino when I was a kid and lived out here for a few years. Uh, moved around a lot. I did uh, a few years in Vegas and uh, moved back and forth from Vegas a couple times and ended up right back in San Bernardino. Now, you and I are actually living in Vegas at about the same time we discovered. Yes. Uh, I was not in the same age group as you are. <laughs> no, I did uh, I did junior high out there and then came out he- back to California for two years for half high school and then went back out there for uh, finishing high school and then uh, moved to- ended up moving back out here, I think, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. So I got to ask you, because one of the reasons why we left Las Vegas was our kids were getting into first grade and uh, our oldest was, and we thought this is not exactly the place that we want to raise a family. Uh, what was it like being a teenager in Vegas? Uh, I don't remember. No, <laughs> I, I did a. I, it it was pretty tough. Um, it's not necessarily a, a great place for kids. I don't think. At least not to raise them and try to raise them right. Uh, did you ever get thrown out of a casino like I did when I was nineteen? I've been thrown out of many casinos. <laughs> um, I've been police escorted out of casinos. Uh, I'm not allowed back at the Four Queens. <laughs> I uh, I got booted out of the Mirage, and and I'm I'm okay with never going back to the Four Queens. You know I I don't I don't regret it all. I actually wasn't even doing anything wrong. Um, where I went wrong was I was arguing with a security officer about not doing something wrong, and so I had four of them gingerly escort me out. <laughs> So let's go. Let's let's fast forward. How do how do we get into pipe smoking? Um, well, I I was always interested in tobacco. Um, I started at a very early age, probably a lot younger than I should have. Uh, when I was eighteen, I decided I wanted to try out a pipe. So I went and bought myself a Dr. Grabo and some random drugstore blend. Um, started smoking my pipe, and then I had a a buddy that was living with me at the time and tr- almost burned down my the place I was living at. So on the stand where, where, where it caught fire was my pipe, and uh, it went up in flames with the stand. And at that point, I went searching for a new pipe and kind of got a, a little bit carried away, I guess. Started collecting pipes and, and buying stuff, everything from eBay to shops, online stores, and then uh, tried my hand at making one. 
So how long were you collecting, searching, and finding before you decided to start making one? I would say probably about a year, maybe a little bit longer. But I think I wanted to, I wanted to make my own pipe right from the first few that I bought. And I started doing it maybe about a year later, year and a half later. So is that about nine, ten years ago? Uh, something like that. So right. I think I was... Uh, yeah, because I, I want to say it was like 1920 when I when I started uh, started dabbling into into making pipes and doing that whole thing with the, like a Dremel in the front yard and pre pre drilled briar blocks and kind of the the way that everybody else I guess gets started. <laughs> yeah, but you were 19, hanging out on the hanging out on the front porch with a Dremel tool and a block of briar. Yeah, did that, and then I bought a drill press, and uh, I would take the drill press out in the in the the front of the house so that way it was easy cleanup and uh would drill out blocks when i started doing that and then taking a dremel to the rest of it and started out real simply didn't really have too much um from there i ended up making a little shop inside my room and uh i just had the little desk that i put everything on and then when i got more machinery then i ended up having to make a, a shop so i built a shop in the backyard and uh, got a machining lathe and all the odds and ends of pipe making. Now, the good news is, is as as geeky as this sounds, uh, you just got married last month. I did just get married last month. Uh, me and my wife uh, had been dating for, for about 10 years, and uh, we had been planning to get married for probably four or five years of that, and we finally got around to making sure we had all our P's and Q's and being mature enough to, to handle a marriage and, and move forward with it. Congratulations! I have met her. She's really nice. Uh, I was wondering what what did you do to swindle her into doing this? Uh, well, at first, there was I mean there was a lot of push to uh, to not do it because it, it does take a lot of time away from your family and um, all my free time I basically spent making pipes and uh, it wasn't until she really saw you know that it was it was not just me getting into something and, and kind of throwing it to the wayward a couple years later that, uh, that she came around and was real supportive about it. But it, it took, it took, there were some battles. <laughs> I've met her. She's a sweetheart. You're a lucky guy. Thank you. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the tobacco. Cause you started off with some drugstore stuff. Did that uh, evolve with your taste in pipes? I, I can't really say that it did. I always liked, um, free hands and stuff like that as far as pipes were concerned. Um, there were some classical shapes that I really liked, Dublins and things of that nature I really have a, a liking to. Um, Tobacco-wise, that's changed throughout the years and really grown um, a whole lot as far as what I like or don't like or trying out new blends. And now I still try as many new blends as I can. But uh, I don't I don't necessarily limit myself. I'm a lot more exploratory with that than I am with pipes. I think, as far as just things for my own personal use. Well, yeah, now that you can make your own pipes, you know exactly what you like in a pipe, so now it's finding the tobacco. Exactly, and that's the hardest part is, you know, it, it's kind of like choosing a beer. You really like a you know, specific maker or maybe a brand or whatever maybe, and you come home from work one day and just look at it and say, I, I, don't, really, I don't really want to drink that or smoke that or whatever. I'll try something new today. And so I guess it just kind of depends on the mood. But uh, I tend to, to flip-flop a lot with, with different tobaccos. And one day it's a Virginia, next day it's 
maybe a vapor, and in that case, that's a Latakia. It just kind of depends on what kind of mood I'm in. I don't typically stick to one one blend for too long. So now you, you've started making pipes. Did you go and train with anybody, or did you just use the Internet and question and answers? Well, um, for a long time, that's all I did was just search the Internet. I looked at, you know, pipe makers' tools. That was one of the, my biggest things. Is I knew what they could create, but I didn't know how they did it. So I would look at the tools in the background and one of their pictures or um, try to see how they engineered the pipe in order to, you know, get the, the effect that they got out of it, whether a line wrapped around or whatever it may be, and then try to mimic that for a long time. And then uh, I was asked by Jeff Grazik if I wanted to go down to his shop and, and learn. So I went down there for a few days, and I learned with him, uh, with an excellent teacher, learned a lot from him. And then uh, I went and worked with Todd Johnson for uh, about a week, and he invited me down to the shop, and so I worked with him for a while. And uh, I got to work with a few other pipe makers while I was there, Steve Morse, Grant Batson, Bruce Weaver. Um, they were all at the shop there working when when I was there. So I got to work with them via working with Todd. So that, that was kind of fun. It was very, um, Tyler Beard was there. So it was, a, it was like a big pipe makers get together, and that was a lot of fun. So you got to see a whole bunch of styles, a whole bunch of different ways that pipe makers look at pipes. And now, mm-hmm. now have you adjusted that all to work for you, or do you see parts of them in, in your stuff? Well, I, I think that's the hardest part is, is, is you, when you work with other pie makers, you, you tend to pick up things that they do. Um, and, you know, subconsciously or consciously, you just tend to, your work tends to, it's inspired by whatever they do. And so I think it's, it's something neat because you can see things in your work you never saw before. Um, by looking at, at a different viewpoint. Um, but I think that it says important just to keep it kind of your vision of what it is. So it's almost like a variation of whatever you picked up from them and, and use it. And so I think now at this point, it, it took a while to kind of be able to practice those techniques in the same way they do it and now transform them into whatever I do. So um, I think it, it probably took well, almost a year to really kind of get past that point. But I think I've hit that at, from, from at this point now in my career. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about bamboo and about the, uh, I, I want to call it the, the front bottom of the bowl. So we'll be back in just a minute. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Does anything beat relaxing on the patio or playing 18 holes with a fine cigar during the summertime? Kathy of Cup of Joe's has the place for you. Queensberry Cigar and Pipe. Enjoy their cigar lounge with three large screen TVs or a patio to soak in the rays. You have to check out their beautiful cedar-lined walk-in humidor and their huge selection of pipes to choose from. They even have fast delivery for those of you that are out of the area. Queensberry Cigar and Pipe, Route 9, Queensberry. On Facebook under Cup of Joe's Cigars and Pipes and the web at cupofjoes.com. We are back. Steve is still with us. 
I'm going to get into some uh, real particulars with Steve for two reasons. One, because I want to know, and two, because I actually own one of Steve's pipes. And I'm looking at this as I walked up, fell in love with the pipe, bought it, didn't really get much of a chance to ask you about it, so here it goes. I've seen on a couple of your designs where you take the front part of the bowl and you kind of bring that line up. Mm-hmm. Is that something that came to you? Was there? How did that start? How's that? Well, um, part of it is I, I don't when I when I look at a pipe, I try not to make pipes with big chins on them. I like to call them, and it's just that front part of that bowl really sticking out too far. I think that uh, by lifting up the front, not only does it help shed some weight, um, but at the same time, it uh, it really gives the 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 piece more of a speedy look to it. It makes it look fast, I guess, and, and just makes it look a little bit more organic or flowing. So when you have a bend on, on a stem or um, the way of the, the bowl goes up, just kind of, to me, determines on how far I should bring that up. And I just always tend to, to gravitate towards doing that on a piece. When I first looked at the pipe, I thought, well, that's a little strange. But then I thought, all right, well, maybe that's just that's just following the bottom line. And I was a little worried about the functionality of it because that Mm -hmm. might make that spot a little thinner there. But then when I finally put the pipe in my mouth and was smoking it, I noticed that it really didn't affect it in any way because the heat was coming towards the backside of the bowl anyway, and it just Mm -hmm. kept that line there. Yeah, I try not to make it very thin. I I don't run that backside of the bowl um, or the the front side of the bowl. I I try not to get it real close to the, the inner chamber um, and try to keep quite a bit of meat there. But So in order to do that, I just tilt the bowl back a little bit. By tilting that bowl, um, it helps keep the thickness, uh, a, a good thickness in the front and in the back and tends to, uh, tend to generate that heat towards the back wall that's a little bit thicker. Talking about the size of your pipes, do you, do you tend more towards small pipes? Or? I do personally. I like, I like clenching pipes. So because I do and I don't like holding them, I, the smaller I can make them, the more comfortable they are to me. So um, it wasn't until maybe my second year that I actually started making larger or mid- medium-sized pipes. Uh, and that was just customers requesting them. Um, and now I've, I kind of, most of the pipes that I make are, are generally a medium-sized pipe. Um, but when I first started out, almost everything was more to my liking, which was smaller, tiny pieces. And then the other part of that pipe that I absolutely love, and this is coming from somebody who, primarily to limit my collection and to to limit the pipes that I was chasing after, said that I would absolutely not have any bamboo pipes or bamboo shanked pipes. Uh, your bamboo work is extraordinary. I would love for you, and I know the story, but I'd love for you to tell people the story of your bamboo. As far as, uh, like, where I get it and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I kind of fell into that. Um, I was looking around for a new source of bamboo, um, and was just having a lot of trouble finding good quality bamboo. It's not the easiest stuff in the world to find, um, even using the Internet and search functions and everything else. Um, and what happened was a friend of mine's uncle has a large field of bamboo, um, and it just so happens it's all running bamboo, which is what you use for, for pipes, typically. So what I did was I inquired with him, and uh, 
I go and, and visit him now and again, and we talk for a couple hours, and the bamboo is basically taking over his house and his entire yard, and so he wants it out of there, and so I try to take care of all the problem areas that he has first and uh, go to the other areas that I'd like to search out next and uh, dig out the bamboo and then dry it and uh, process it, take out all the, the roots and stuff like that and, and use the pieces. The part of the bamboo that you use, is that from underground or is it from above ground? Um, well, both. It all depends on what I'm, what kind of effect I'm going for with the, the piece. Uh, most of the pieces that I use, where the nodes are very close together, that's it's all rhizome, which is the root part underneath. And then you have little roots that grow out of that. Um, and then the shoots come from there that grow up out of the ground. And then I'll use maybe the first um, inch or two on really close um, pieces. Where the, the nodes are extremely close together next to the ground. I'll use maybe an inch or two of that on some pieces. And those little the little nodes, is that where you end up putting the little uh, little polish on them to, to cap them off? Oh, when I use when I use the little accents on the um, bamboo, that's actually where a shoot would come from. Okay. So the shoot would grow from there and grow up into the bamboo shoot that you would see sticking out of the ground. And so when you get that, sometimes there's a little button on there, and they tend to fall off. So when you piece them off, it just leaves kind of a nasty-looking hole. Um, that doesn't go all the way through, but it just doesn't look pretty. So you use the little caps to be cap that off. How long does it take to dry out the pieces of bamboo? It varies. Um, some pieces that I get are already dry. Um, they've been dead for a while. Um, other pieces, I have pieces that I've been drying for over a year, and they're still not ready. So I try to dry them out as long as possible. You can usually tell by tapping on them and the weight, how, much, how, how heavy they are, whether they have a lot of water or moisture in them. And then typically I'll dry them out and then drill them and uh, and then let them sit for maybe another three or four months just to make sure that they are dry and you don't get cracking and checking and stuff. Do you line the, the insides of the bamboo with anything? Well, I use uh, stainless tubing to connect it to the bowls. Um, and I use stainless, I use a Dillerman tenon from the uh, mouthpiece into the briar. So the majority of it is, um, I guess you would say, tubed in the inside. So not a lot of it is, is exposed to the smoke and resin and everything else. The hard part is that it's easy to clean stainless and get all everything out of it. But you start using, um, you know, things to clean your pipe and you're running, you know, I cleaners do that all the time, and my worry is always just, you know, over time, eventually, even if it's 20 years down the line, somebody going through the sidewall or, you know, wearing it out or anything like that. So I, I try to, co to, to cover the inside as much as possible. Both ends of the bamboo have attachments. One's got the stem, the other one attaches to the bowl, and a lot of people are worried that the bamboo makes it more delicate. Can you... Talk about the attaching the stem to the actual bowl or the shame. Talk about attaching the bamboo to the bowl so that it stays there forever. Well, what I do is a stainless pin that runs uh, about halfway up the bamboo. Um, so it's in there quite a ways. It's not at the very end. Uh, I try to make sure I get as much in there as possible. And then uh, I do at least about a half-inch tenon on the other side to connect it to the, the bowl itself. 
Um, typically, if you dropped that pipe and you broke it, it's either going to break the stem off or it's going to break the bowl off. But the bamboo itself is not going to break. It's, it's bamboo strong, really extremely strong. And with the stainless tendon in the inside of it, it makes it even stronger. So I, I would say it's more delicate. Um, it affords you to be able to actually use thinner material or, um, for a shank. Um, like if you were into a pencil shank uh, with bamboo, you can use a thinner shank because of that versus you using briar. The briar is going to end up cracking or, um, you know, failing at some point. And if you drop it, it makes it extremely delicate. So I think that the bamboo actually makes it stronger. And the bamboo also makes the pipe overall lighter because you have less wood there and you also have less ebonite on the stem part. Um, yeah, correct. And, and it, I mean, it all it varies from pipe to pipe. Um, but I, I think that as an overall, it, it, it's either going to be equal to or less than. I, I can't see it being weighing more. Well, you do some great you do some great looking bamboo work. So. Thank you very much. Now, uh, you are not a full-time pipe maker, correct? Uh, no, I work a, a full-time job as a purchasing agent. Um, I've done that for 10 years now. Um, prior to that, I worked as a mechanic and various other things. But uh, I, I've done this for 10 years now, and, and it's I'm looking at at least probably about another year or two before I, uh, I go full-time with the pipes. How many pipes are you making a year? Um, I think last year I made almost 60, so I don't make a whole lot. I make a little bit less than half of what most make, most makers that are full-time make. While doing it as a part-time job. Yep. Uh, the other thing is I noticed from looking at your website, which is, uh, the website is steveliskypipes.com, S-T-E-V-E-L-I-S-K-E-Y, Pipes, which I refuse to spell for people that listen to this show, dot com. Uh, you don't have any pipes available. No, uh, that's I've been meaning to put some stuff on there. It's just kind of hard um, right now. I have a distributor with Quality Briar, and so I um, sell get pipes to him once or twice a year, and uh, I'm backlogged a year on commissions. Um, so I have quite a few people that want pipes for me. And uh, I also do at least two shows a year, which usually does 10 or more pipes every show. So me making 60 pipes a year, I can only basically, you know, get out half that for commissions and stuff. And to put stuff on the website makes it pretty difficult. And while all working a full-time job and uh, and just getting married, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the getting married uh, sent me back a little bit on commissions, but... Thankfully, everybody's been very understanding. Uh, besides pipe making and working full-time and just being married, anything else keep your time busy? Uh, I do a lot of fishing. Um, we try to go out. I, I usually I work six days a week, so I try to take one day out. And we, do, we go fishing or um, we'll go hunting. Um, we do a lot of outdoor stuff, hiking. Uh, so we just try to, to, to get out that one day a week to, to spend some time in the outdoors. I spend a lot of time in my shop staring at grow bits and briar all day. So it, it's kind of nice to uh, be able to get out to the outdoors. And then a lot of times during the week looking at uh, looking at orders that you have to purchase and keeping an inventory in hand. Oh, yeah. It, it makes for a long work week. So with that, we'll wrap it up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer, short or long answer, doesn't matter. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite pipe? 
Uh, favorite pipe is a 1929 Dunhill um, that was given to me as a gift from uh, one one of my best friends. What's your favorite tobacco? I, I'm kind of in between right now. Um, I love Dunhill mixture, and uh, I'm really liking uh, Exotic right now from Smoker's Haven. What's your favorite drink? Favorite drink would either have to be a nice micro-brewed beer or coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker. I think that's mostly what I run on. And what's your favorite thing to do while smoking your pipe? Work, typically. <laughs> <laughs> Not much other free time, is there? No, it's pretty much uh, either you got to smoke while I'm working or I don't get to smoke. And where's your favorite place to smoke your pipe? Uh, go ahead, say it. My shop. <laughs> Which I'm looking at pictures on your website, so everybody check out Steve's website. Steve, thank you for your time, which is uh, obviously precious. I will uh, see you at the uh, West Coast Pipe Show in Las Vegas. Yes, definitely. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutlifTobacco.com. Go to SutlifTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back. Uh, not only is Steve Liskey a great pipe maker, he's a really nice guy too. So make sure and check out his pipes. Look for him at a pipe show. All right, when I was in Kansas City, I sat down in the hotel room with Michael Soule. Mike Sull is a master penman in the Spencerian penmanship class. He is literally a world-class penman. To see a sample of his work, look at my Disney Tabacchiana collection in the miscellaneous photographs. There's a certificate of appreciation that he, the, the Kansas City Pipe Club presented to me that he did. He does these for each one of their featured speakers. These are all done by hand with quill and ink. They are absolutely gorgeous pieces of work. In addition to that, Mike's a bit of a poet, and I got him to record some of his poetry for me. So we're going to sit back with our pipes. This is so calming and so relaxing to listen to. If you're driving, I may warn you to pull over. But here is Mike Sull reading some of his poetry. The Old Scrapbook "'Twas an old scrapbook in the parlor there where it lay in the amber light, a token of time far past its prime when forgotten hands would write. Just there, on the desk by the briar-pipe rest, next to a dry inkwell, where, like in a dream, 
It said, so it seemed, come closer, I've stories to tell. Oh, the times are scarcely remembered now since Grandfather was young in the days before the Great World War when he, he worked as a carpenter's son. But still, I'll always remember, as long as there's breath in these bones, when I sat on his knee and he said to me, I'll tell you of penmen I've known. For you see, Grandpa was a carpenter whose father had taught him the trade, and yet his job to be done was more duty than fun, to provide for the living he'd made. But when the day's work was all over, ah, with joy he'd pick up a pen and he'd write with a grace you could see on his face. Lord, I can see him as if it was then. He'd show me his work sort of humbly, and I'd ask questions, so eager was I, for I stood in awe of the forms I saw, right down to the dot of an eye. And then he'd show me a stack of letters postmarked from years before, and and I'd look at each one till the whole pile was done, and then I'd ask if he had any more. And so he'd laugh, and, <laughs> and then he'd get quiet, and as I looked deep into his eyes, I could see from within a reverence begin as a feeling he couldn't disguise. Then he'd go and withdraw from his bookcase a volume unlike all the rest, and he'd hold it there like a, like a church book of prayer. Believe me, that's what you'd have guessed. Its spine was stamped in pure gold and so bright, yet the pages looked awkward and worn. Its burgundy cover was well-polished leather with, with not a spot that was torn. And he'd say, this here's my scrapbook. And he'd open the pages wide, and, and there were his friends with the work of their pens from cover to cover inside. There were wonderful, magical tracings of delicate letters and words. There were decorative lines so thin and so fine, like, like flourishing quills and birds. Ah, we'd study them over for hours in those years of way back when, and, and I'd watch him write long into the night. And then we'd look at the scrapbook again. And, well, though I'm so much older now, you know, each day I yet can see my grandfather's face and the penwork of grace he showed when I sat on his knee. And I still turn the old worn pages as he did so long ago, back in those days now dim that were so special to him, in a way only I can know. For you see, he left me his letters and more from my memory, because before Grandpa died he took me aside and he willed a scrapbook to me. And whenever I feel the need to recall that man from when I was young, I just, I just go over there to the parlor where he sits with his eager grandson and, and opens the book with that faraway look of, of times he knew from before when he spoke through his pen of long-cherished friends and their stories and glories of yore. Yes, it was just a scrapbook in the parlor there where it lay in the amber light, a token of time far past its prime, when forgotten hands would write. Just there, on the desk by the briar pipe rest, next to a dry inkwell, where, like in a dream, it said, so it seemed, Come closer, I've stories to tell. And, of course, Mike is a pipe smoker as well, a lifelong fan of the light to mild aromatics. Uh, Mike's going to be on the show 
in a couple of weeks or so. Depends on when we can get the timing down right. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about it, the website is S-P-E-N-C-E-R-I-A-N.com. Spencerian.com. Message from the dark side there is. Lots of really nice comments about uh, Reverend Bill Hirsch. Yeah, Bill, uh, another perfect example of how wonderful the people are within our hobby, most of them. Uh, Just a fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. Glad you all enjoyed Kebmo's uh, America the Beautiful. Love that piece. Kebmo's uh, really talented, and there's a lot of music in there to dig around in. Uh, Talking about aromatics that uh, Mike Saul's a fan of. Peterson's limited edition aromatics are out, and I know there's a lot of people excited about those. They just introduced them. Christmas came a little early. Kind of interesting. Uh, At the IPCPR next week, I will be launching or relaunching to the United States Big Ben Pipes. They've done a lot of retooling and uh, improving them. I'm really excited about them, so keep an eye on them at retailers near you. Comments in regards to Australia and what's going on down there. If we all here in the United States don't take notice of what's happening down under, this could happen to us. So again, I urge everybody, I urge everybody to make sure and let your members of Congress, both uh, federal and state, know that you will uh, that you're a smoker and that you enjoy tobacco and to leave tobacco alone. All right, I want to play one more thing before we get to a uh, special rant rave coming up at the end of the show. Now, I know I pick on Vegas a lot and I talk about it a lot. I end up there a lot for trade shows and stuff like that, and I live there for a while. But this Bill Cosby routine was one of my first impressions of Las Vegas and uh, gambling. And it's a, it's really funny. It goes back to the 1970s. I'll play a little bit now and then play the rest of it after Happy Trails at the very end of the show. So here's uh, Bill Cosby's personal look on uh, casinos. How we can win here. (laughs) What we do is there's about 1,400 of us here. They think we're in here watching the show. They wouldn't be ready for us. All we'd have to do, man, is just get up and march on that casino. I mean, march on it. Taking chips as we go. I mean, taking them. Not fooling around, walking right up in groups of 20 to 30, just taking chips. They put 12 security guards out there. We could do it. Are you ready? Now we're gonna go out there. Now some of us are gonna die. Now you're backing off now, huh? I'm in charge, and I'll be behind you. That way, so when we turn around and run, I'll be in front. And there's one other thing. When we divvy up the chips, here's the way we're gonna do it. Whatever color the person, that's the color chips he's going to get. (laughs) No fair painting yourself. (laughs) 
Bill Cosby, one of the funniest men and one of the best storytellers ever. Uh, lifetime, uh, lifelong cigar fan. Never smoked a pipe that I know of, but anyway, that was from uh, an early 1970s performance that he gave at the old International Hotel in Las Vegas. Hang on at the very end, end, end of the show after Happy Trails, and I'll play the rest of that bit for you there. All right, rant time coming up next. need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favourite blends outside of the US? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favourite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Have you ever found one of those magic pipes where anything you smoke in it tastes great? Do you know what makes a pipe magic? It's the wood. All Amadeus pipes are made from Grecian briar and come direct from the four generations family-owned briar mill. We supply wood to many of the top brand name factories and even to world-renowned pipe artisans. Now you can experience our ultra-high-grade briar at factory direct prices. We're the briar mill and we're the pipe makers. We've got every size, shape, and finish you can imagine at the best prices possible. From 50 to 150 and they're worth twice that. Get an Amadeus pipe now. They're magic and affordable. We are coming to the end of the episode. Normally I reserve this time to rant about something that's bothered me, something that I've observed. Well, this time, although a sad situation, my heart goes out to everybody involved in the recent plane crash in San Francisco, I want to give a shout-out, a little bit of a rave, to the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB's chairwoman, Deborah Herzman. She gave and has been giving probably the best press conferences I've ever seen from a government official. She is very direct. She speaks clearly, plain spoken. She translates all the jargon into information or into what we can understand. She doesn't let the press rattle her. She doesn't let anybody push her into answering anything. She doesn't she doesn't even get upset when they keep asking her the same thing over and over again, trying to get her to speculate on stuff when she was obviously not ready to give those answers. So a big shout out to Deborah Herzman for handling the press conferences on the plane crash in San Francisco. My heart goes out to, any, to everybody involved in that. I fly a lot. It does bother me to see that, but... Knowing that the NTSB has got such a level-headed person in charge of it makes me feel a little better. And uh, not only that, she's uh, kind of attractive looking for a government official lady. So there you go. A little shout out to Deborah Herzman. Hey, make sure and keep following me on Facebook. I will try my darndest to post stuff from the show floor of the IPCPR. Give you a sneak peek of, uh, some, of uh, some of the stuff that goes on on the show floor from Las Vegas. 
please keep leaving those uh, those iTunes reviews and ratings. We do appreciate those. Post any comments that you got on the show on the PipesMagazine.com forums. I do read them all. I appreciate them all. And I will leave you with this as I start my long week in Las Vegas. Thank you to all of you pipe smokers throughout the world. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. When we're together Just sing a song And think about sunny weather Happy trails to you terrible out there. You better hope that I keep you in there for a while. You know who's out there? Worse. Worse is out there. Yeah. Worse follows everybody. You should never challenge worse. Don't ever say, things couldn't get worse. <laughs> worse is rough. He followed me over to the Baccarat table. <laughs> Sat down with me. And I said, oh man, things can't get worse. And he said, worse. <laughs> but don't challenge him. Don't make worse angry. And the weight of your chips will not chase worse away. You know that. Only thing that'll chase them away is when you cut back, play for a penny. <laughs> Kill them, and they know it, in blackjack, if they ever change it to 23. <laughs> I own this whole strip. They ever change it, and they won't do it, because they know me. If they ever change it to 23, I'll double down on 19. <laughs> I'm rough on 23. If I stop playing blackjack, though, it's, uh, man, dealers are just... I mean, it's not the guy, it's just the way the cards fall, you know? They give themselves their cards too fast. You can't wish on them. <laughs> you know, wait a minute, let me wish something on you. <laughs> now, if you could go slow, like we can. Five <laughs> and eight. I need a seven or an eight. May I have a seven? Ten. <laughs> what the wrong with you? I asked you for a seven or an eight. Give me a goddamn ten. Now take it back. I sat at the table and the guy ran off, I swear, eleven hands straight. And this lady and I were sitting at the table and finally we just said, look, don't give us any more cards. You just call out what you have. We'll throw you the money. But the best gambler I ever saw in my life was a woman. 
Yes, indeed. And she was so angry. We lost those 11 hands in a row. She caught a 20 in the deal. I had a face card up. She said, I'm not taking no pushes. <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> and the dealer said, but ma'am, he's a hot sale. Hit it. <laughs> you know, ace. <laughs> and the guy in the glass thing fell through. <laughs> I don't give a damn. Pay it. Pay it. Pay it. Worst gambler I ever saw at the blackjack table was a man. Believe it or not, we had a table full of people, and this guy split five. <laughs> and the whole table got up and beat him up. <laughs> and people from the other table came across and beat him up. But he did the same thing with them yesterday. And he was the only person who won a hand at the table. <laughs> Don't ever challenge worse.